We are privileged to have the Word of God in our hands, whether in book form or electronically, Uh, so I encourage you to open your Bible uh, to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. And as we did last week, we're going to do again this week, we're going to read this entire chapter, for it is in itself and of itself one of the sweetest and best sermons you will ever hear. Uh, and now let's, let's hear it again uh, for the comfort of our hearts. Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. What that means, my friends, is that everything that tries to get in the way of and impede the progress of the Lord our God, everything will be leveled. Everything will be made smooth before him. And the prophet continues, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, and that, my friends, is us. We are grass. We are fading, withering flowers. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. My friends, who has done all this? Our God has. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did God consult? And who made Him to understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket 
and are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon, with all of its mighty tall cedar trees, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants... That's you and me are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who makes princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the Word of God given to us, living and abiding. May God speak it to our hearts this morning. A little bit of explanation for you as I get started. I rarely preach the same message to the same audience and have only done that a couple of times in the course of about 38 years of ministry. But this is one of those times when I have chosen to do this. Some of you will hear echoes from the distant past in today's message and I'm not apologizing for this. I, I preached this message eight or nine years ago at Covenant Fellowship and have long wanted the opportunity and occasion uh, to re-preach it here to the Risen Hope family that I love. And I think this is that moment. If last week we needed to hear how to treat each other 
going into and coming out of a difficult election, this week we need to hear who God is on this side of the election and every election. I wish, I wish that we were in closer confines here today. I certainly wish we were indoors today. I wish that we were sitting more closely and could be more interactive in this moment. But I trust that God will kind of somehow close the gap between us and that we will hear personally from God in this hour of our lives. Many of you will remember that I have quoted A.W. Tozer before. A.W. Tozer says, what, what comes into your mind, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Why is that so? It is so because whatever comes into your mind when you think about God affects and influences and changes everything else in your life. Every decision, every perspective, every worry, every concern, every fear, every hope is affected by what you think about God. Who is God and what is God like? This is why I can tell you my own experience in Galen's in my experience in years of marriage and life and ministry and trials and hardships, this passage of Scripture, more than perhaps any other, has affected us <clears throat> and helped us uh, because this passage of Scripture tells us what to think about God. This is a passage, perhaps more than any other in Scripture, that unveils for us the glory of God. This is a passage that says to us explicitly and repeatedly, Behold your God. You need to look at God. Now it's important to get the context for this. In order to understand Isaiah 40, we need to glance back so quickly at chapter 39, if your Bible's open, chapter 39 and verse 5. Where we read, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon and nothing shall be left, says the Lord. The prophet predicts that the people of Israel were going to be exiled, carried away into Babylon, and nothing shall be left. Not their homeland, not their temple, not their homes, not their farms, not their animals. Even their children would be taken away from them. This was going to be a 70-year-long exile for sins that they had committed against God. This was an affliction pylon, something like a 70-year-long year 2020. Imagine 2020 for 70 years in a row. That was the experience of the people of God. This is what they were facing. They were facing a broken world. They were facing a world in which they had no homeland, no security, no well-being, no justice. All the systems were broken. All the promises seemed broken. All the people seemed broken. All the relationships seemed broken. Government seemed broken. Nation seemed broken. Everything was broken. And I think we know a little bit of how that feels. It just feels as if everything around us 
is broken. And on top of this, the people of God were feeling as if God was treating them unjustly, that what was their right and what was their due was not coming in their direction. That's why in verse 27, it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? The, the people of Israel were saying, God, you are not here for us. Un- Injustice is happening, wrong is happening, and it's hidden from you. You're disregarding it. You're ignoring it. They were experiencing all of this. And it's into that that God speaks in chapter 40 and verse 1. And what does he say? Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem says to the prophet, I want, I want you to comfort my people. I, I know, I know in their case, Isaiah, the people are being punished now for sins they've actually committed, because that was the case in their case. I know they are wrong in how they have lived and what they have done. And I know that they really asked for it, this exile, and they had it coming to them. But, but Isaiah, I want you to comfort my people. I want you to comfort them. You understand, brothers, sisters, and friends here this morning, you understand that this is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God who is. He is a God who in the midst of our trials does not ignore, does not say buck up and toughen up and have a stiff upper lip. He is a God who says comfort my people. He's a God who is saying to us, it's okay to grieve, it's okay to weep, it's okay to be hurting, it's okay to feel as if everything is coming undone and it's okay to know that you need comfort and you need help. God does not encourage us to make believe. God does not encourage us to be in denial. God doesn't scold our grief. He consoles it. And He comforts it. Now look at how He comforts it. Look at verse 9. Go up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And here, my friends, is the ultimate comfort. Here is what our souls need, whatever our circumstances, whatever is going on in our lives. Here is the answer. To our distress. Here is the answer to our moment. What do we need when exile happens or affliction happens or trials happen? We don't need a bottle. We don't need a drug. We don't need a bowl of ice cream, although that comes in handy sometimes. But we don't need a bowl of ice cream. We don't need a psychological pick-me-up. We don't need the same president or a new president. We need a vision of God. We need an understanding of who God is. When God saw, God saw his people afflicted, he said to his prophet, tell them about me. Tell them about me. If, if, if you are in darkness right now, if unsettledness has settled over your life, if you are afraid, here is your courage. 
If, if you are adrift, here is an anchor for you. If you are tired of fighting temptation and worldliness, here is your victory. If, if you are sick of politics, here is your cure. If you are worried over the future, here is your answer. If you are besieged, here is your fortress. If, if you are restless, here is your stillness. If you, are, if you are in pain, here is the balm that you need. If you are burdened for your children, here is your relief. If, if you are in relentless, chronic affliction, here is your surpassingly relentless grace. If, if you are bereaved, here is your truest comfort. If you are guilty and ashamed, here is your mercy and here is your hope. If you are worried about injustice, both for the unborn and for the born, here is your hope. Behold your God. Fix your gaze on the incomprehensible majesty, the all-satisfying sufficiency of God. He will comfort you with who he is. That's not a Jesus juke. That's not a cliche for the moment. My friends, that is absolute truth that has been sustaining and keeping and comforting the people of God for thousands upon thousands of years. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. No matter what you're facing, no matter how hard it is, no matter how broken your world, behold your God. And what I want to do in my remaining time is summarize for you what Isaiah 40 says about this God. And here's, here's my summary statement. You may want to take down and then reflect on and let it lead you back into Isaiah 40 and coming days. Here's what Isaiah 40 tells us. God over all, God over all, because of Christ, God over all because of Christ gives strength to the trusting weary. God over all because of Christ gives strength to the trusting weary in His time according to their need to do the remarkable for His glory. God overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary in His time, according to their need, to do the remarkable for His glory. Did you get that down? I want to repeat it one way or another about ten times before I'm done so you'll get it by then. Let me, let me unpack that for you in bit by bit, small bite-sized uh, portions. God over all. What God are we talking about? Not just any God. Not the God of your imagination. Not the, not the idol that you can build and frame and shape with your own hands. No, we're talking about God over all. We're talking about the God of verse 22. He sits above the circle of the earth. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He is God over all. And in Isaiah 40, He's the God who is over all of our sins, pardoning our iniquities. He is the God over every mountain and valley to smooth the path before His feet. 
He is a God who is over all to show us His glory. He is a God who is over all through His Word that abides forever. He is the God who is over all, coming with power, who rules with gracious strength and love and tends His flock like a shepherd. He is the God who is over all the oceans and all the seas, measuring the waters in the hollow of His hands and measuring the heavens with His span. He is the God who is over all knowledge and information, who simply cannot be taught anything because He already knows everything. He is the God who is over all the nations before whom all the nations are but a mere drop from a bucket. He is a God who is over every king and over every president. And He plants them and He sows them and then He blows on them and they wither. He is sovereign over every throne, every power structure in the universe. He is the God who is over all the galaxies. Because He is strong in power and has made and named and numbered the stars, not one of them is missing. He is the God who is over all time and over all space, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is the creator of all that is, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, and He never, ever, ever takes a nap. He is the God whose hands are never tired, whose eyes are never shut, whose will is never frustrated, whose plans are never scrapped, whose love is never quenched, whose promises are never broken, whose mercies are ever true, whose help is never late, whose power is never taxed, whose mind is never surprised, whose throne is never threatened, whose knowledge is never increased, whose kindness is never restrained, whose being who's never altered, whose decrees are never revoked, whose word has never failed, whose truth has never faltered, whose ways can never be predicted, whose paths can never be traced, whose depths can never be fathomed, whose ultimate ends and goals have never once been foiled. He is the God who is in the heavens and does all that He pleases. Psalm 115. He is the God who lives forever in His dominion and no one can stay His hand. Daniel 4. He is the God who is over all and for us in all. He is the God who is over all things, working all things after the counsel of His own will, and working all things together for the good of those who love Him. That's who He is. That's who He is. That is our God. That is our God. He is God over all. He is God over all who, because of Christ, gives us strength. This is important because if you want this God to be your God, and if you want His grace to be your strength, you need to approach Him through Jesus. You need to approach Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. You just can't come on your own. You have, to, you have to come with a Savior and with a mediator. You have to come... Because of Christ. If we look back at verse 2, God says that Israel's iniquity is pardoned. And by the way, that's the greatest comfort any human being can ever have. Don't you agree? There's all kinds of trials and hardships in life. But the punishment that is due to my sin is the biggie. That's the one hangs over our heads from birth. That we cannot remedy on our own. We need our 
iniquity to be pardoned. But how? How is iniquity pardoned? Well, don't separate Isaiah 40 from Isaiah 53. Remember that in Isaiah 53, we read these words, Surely He, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How can our iniquities be pardoned? They can be pardoned because God took those iniquities, lifted them up off of our shoulders, took them away from hanging over our heads, placed them on the shoulders of another. His Son, His loved son in whom he had been well pleased placed those iniquities on the shoulders of another the Lord Jesus Christ who willingly and voluntarily carried those iniquities up Golgotha up Calvary and laid himself out on the cross and hung there and bled out and died and atoned for every one of our sins it is because of Christ that this God is for us It is because of Christ that we have hope. It is because of Christ that we can know that this God is going to be on our side because if He was willing to give up His own Son and deliver Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all that we need? God over all, because of Christ, gives strength. He gives strength. Look at verses 28 and 29. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. I don't know about you. I do know about you. This is a promise you need and I need right now. Let's admit it. Let's face it. We need strength. We need strength. He gives power. He increases strength. He who is strong makes strong. He who is strong makes strong so that we can say in the words of the Apostle, I can do All things. All things pleasant and unpleasant. I can go through any hardship. Check it out. Philippians 4. This is what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying, hey, I can do anything I set my mind to. He is saying I can handle any circumstance in my life. No matter how difficult it is, I can do all things through Him, through Christ who strengthens me. God overall, because of Christ, gives strength To whom? To the trusting weary. To the trusting weary. This point is emphatic in the text. Beginning with the weary part in verse 29. He gives power to the faint. To them who, him who has 
no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint, be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. I am standing in front of you here this morning to tell you this is me. This is me, weary, faint, at times exhausted, needy. You see, the Bible, the promise of God's strength comes to those who are weary and is important. It comes to those who know they're weary and are willing to admit it. The promise of God's strength does not come to the self-sufficient. The promise of God's strength does not come to those who say, I can do this. The promise of God's strength does not come to those who say, I can do whatever I set my heart and mind to do. No. The promise of God's strength comes to those who know that they are at the end of themselves. Who know that apart from Him, we can do what? Nothing. Apart from Him, I don't breathe my next breath. And apart from Him, I don't finish my next sentence. In myself, I am nothing but a lump of clay into which God, by His sovereign creative purposes, breathed life. But my life is in His hands, and my strength is inadequate. But understand this, it's not enough to be aware that you're tired. My guess is right now that 9 out of 10 people you meet throughout the week are exhausted. Between COVID and election and school preparations and just dealing with life, my guess is 9 out of 10 are just exhausted. But it's not enough just to be tired. You have to be the trusting weary. You have to be the trusting weary. Notice the language of verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. You have to be numbered among those who wait for the Lord. That word wait is not a passive word. It speaks of a patient, hope-filled anticipation and trust and reliance. It is a faith that actively anticipates the coming grace and strength and help of God, the deliverance of God. It is a, it is a, it is a word that speaks of eyes that are looking up to the heavens, expecting God to come, but willing to wait. Trusting weary. The trusting weary. God overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary now notice this in his time in his time why do I say that because well we're told those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength or another translation those who hope in the Lord either way wait or hope there's still a wait there's still there's still a surrender to the timing of God See, we understand, don't we, the longer we live, that most often there is a, there is a gap between a need, becoming aware of a need, and the fulfilling of that need. You almost never have situations in your life where there's a need and then boom, God supplies. There's almost always a wait, isn't there? 
And it seems like the, for the most important things, there's a wait. Galen and I often talk to each other about life being a waiting room. All of life is a waiting room. We're waiting on God to do this or that or something else. And we're not, we're not that good at waiting, are we? We're not that good at patience, are we? And we, we American Christians are particularly uh, not very good at this. We live in what I'll call the 4A generation. And I'm not sure this is original with me or I picked it up somewhere along the line. I don't know. But we, we live in a, a generation where there are, there are four A's that apply to us. First of all, there's availability. You know, pretty much you think about anything and it's available somewhere. It's been made, it's been created, it's, it's been done, it's available. And then we live in an age of accessibility. Not only is it available, but it's pretty much within reach. All you need to do is push a little button on your phone and it's accessible. And we live in an age of relative affordability because of mass production and all the rest. Often there's a lot of whatever it is that we're looking for and therefore becomes more affordable. Anybody know what the last A is? We live in the age of Amazon. Amazon. You see, all you need to do is order it now and it might even be here this afternoon. It will be here by tomorrow. See, we, li we live in this age of availability and accessibility and affordability and Amazon that makes it so that we rarely wait for anything. Can I encourage you to develop the discipline of waiting? Choose times in your life when, when there's a need. You don't hop in the car and go meet the need or pick up the phone and order. Choose times in your life where you say, Lord, I want to wait on you. I want to wait on you. Lord, for this one, will you, will you please provide in a way that maybe I can't see and I can't predict? I, I, I recommend the discipline of waiting. I recommend taking more time in your life, times in your life, when you are willing to wait and you make yourself wait because that will train you and equip you for the real times when you have to wait. Those times when God says joy is coming in the morning, but first you do have to go through the night. First you do have to weep your way through the nighttime. God overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary in His time. And it will sound ever so cliched, but it's not. God is never late, but He's never early either. The reality is His provision and His care will come at just the right time for each one of us. God overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary in His time 
to do the remarkable for his glory. To do the remarkable for his glory. But first, I forgot a phrase. In his time, according to their need. According to their need. Look at verse 31. God gives different kinds of strength. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There are different needs. There are different phases and stages and moments of life. There are times when we need soaring strength. God to give us wings to to elevate above it all and to to move forward. There are times when we need running strength, when when indeed it feels as if we hit the ground running in the morning and we run all day long and there's more to do and more to do and we need running strength. And there are times when we need walking strength, when we need just the grace to take the next step. God Overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary in His time according to their need. I, I love the words of the author John Blanchard. He writes, God supplies perfectly measured grace to meet the daily needs of the godly. God supplies perfectly measured grace to meet the, de- the needs of the godly. For daily needs, there is daily grace. For sudden needs, there is sudden grace. For overwhelming needs, there is overwhelming grace. God's grace is given wonderfully, not wastefully, freely, but not foolishly, bountifully, but not blindly. God, for all because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary in His time, according to their need, to do the remarkable for His glory. And you say, Tim, where'd you get that? It's obvious, isn't it, from the text? The weary will soar. And those that have no strength will run and not get tired. And those who are faint will walk and not faint. You see, there is a supernatural infusion of strength and grace into our hearts so that we can do the remarkable. We can do the amazing and the astonishing. We can soar above it. We can run though we are carrying great burdens. We can walk step after step although we are tired because God gives perfectly measured grace for each moment so we can do the remarkable so that in the end He gets all the glory. You've heard me say it before. Many of you know, and I'm not going to go into the details of it. I'll just, I'll just say this. Um, I live with a headache. Again, almost all of you know that. Uh, live with a headache. It's now been 32 years every day, all day long for the last 32 years. Non-stop, high-degree pain, headache all the time. 
But I just want you to notice, in case you hadn't yet, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. In case you hadn't noted, I'm standing right here in front of you. That's remarkable for His glory. I, I love, at one level, I love talking about my headache because I can't take any credit for it. God, God called me to it. And then God promised me all the grace I would need to bear it. And 32 years later, I'm still standing and I say to Him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And you, you, you are experiencing, right? If there are people that could look at your life and say, how are you enduring that? How are you keeping on? How are you still moving forward? How are you still smiling? How are you still rejoicing? How are you still getting up in the morning? It's because God overall, because of Christ, gives strength to the trusting weary. In His time, according to their need to do the remarkable for His glory. Can I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that the God of Isaiah is the God and the only person who can give us what we need in the trials of our life, including the great trial that's dividing our nation today. This, this God must be our focus. This is who we need. This is the one we must trust. This is the one to whom we must turn. He is the one who will unite us even with all of our differences. He is the one who will bind us together. He is the one we must focus on. And His Son Jesus who carried our iniquities on His shoulders he must be the one that binds us together. He must be the one that unites us. So, on this day, whatever you're feeling, in light of recent developments, whatever you're feeling, be sure of this. Be sure of this. No human is the answer. God alone is the answer. God alone is our hope. God alone is our confidence. God alone is the one who gives strength. God alone is the one who gives wings. God alone is the one who gives us help to take the next step. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's behold our God. Let's stand in awe of Him and let's love Him and let's draw our comfort from Him because He is enough for us. And then let us have our hearts bound together in God and in the Gospel, no matter what comes, bound together in God and in the Gospel for His sake and for His glory. Let's pray.